Hi everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of What's the Crime? You are listening to Grania and like last week, Gemma unfortunately cannot be with me in studio but she is remotely over the phone. Hey Gemma, how are you? <laughs> Hello, I'm good. <laughs> um, so we can hear you okay I think, so it should be grand. Um, so for this week's episode, I am telling the story of um, Leslie Hoyle and Trevor Buchanan. So this story is um, quite close to home. It is in Ireland, um, Northern Ireland to be exact. Um, so I suppose I'll just get right down to it. Um, right. First of all, do you remember this story? Um, it involves Colin Hyle and well, Buchanan. Yeah, I remember. Like, I don't know the details, but I know the, I know yeah. the story, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay, so... Colin Howell married his wife, Leslie Clark, on the 16th of July, 1983. So Colin Howell was brought up in a Protestant district of Belfast. He was the fourth of five children. Um, He was a smart student at school. He obtained A-levels in maths, chemistry and physics. He was a school prefect. He was a member of the Scriptures Union and his ambition was to study medicine Um, But his grades just didn't reach the mark, so he decided to study dentistry. Leslie was born in England. Her father, Harry, was originally from County Armagh um, in Ireland. So Leslie and her parents, Harry and May, and her brother, Christopher, moved to Dublin, where Leslie has fond memories of her childhood. So they moved from um, England to Dublin, and then after her leave insert, she went to Belfast to take up a career in nursing. So Leslie was very attractive. She was never short of male admirers. She radiated warmth and personality. It was around 1982 when Leslie and Colin met, uh, got into a relationship and it was getting quite serious. They then wed in July of 1983, which was about a year um, later. Okay. After the marriage, they moved to Coleraine, where Colin was able to secure his first job in dentistry. So both of their families were extremely religious. Leslie was Colin's first serious girlfriend. And like their families, Colin and Leslie were both very religious themselves and they firmly believed in no sex before marriage. They had, however, slept together pre-marriage and they did feel you know, quite a, a great deal of guilt about this. In the year before they did get married, Leslie had three abortions. So they travelled to a clinic in West London and they both found, you know, they, they both felt very guilty and they would carry this guilt with them for um, many, many years. Um, when they did okay. marry, um, their married life did seem to be treating them quite well. Um, their first child, Matthew, was born in October 1984 they decided that Leslie would stay home and look after the baby and stop work. Meanwhile, Colin's career flourished. So they were also birth, uh, They were also both very actively involved in their Baptist church as well. Uh, Leslie was like, you know, pretty much all most new mums. She was struggling a bit to adjust to this life of being a new mother. Um, she was struggling to adjust with not working. You know, she missed her old friends in Belfast because she didn't really know anyone in Coleraine. Um, Colin could be described as a bit controlling. 
um, you know, he just liked to sort of, um, he liked to, to be the one to, you know, spend their money and that sort of thing. But Leslie was not the subservient, quiet housewife. And they did argue quite a lot about her spending. Um, okay. Leslie fell pregnant again, had two more children. They had their son, Daniel, and then uh, they had another daughter, Lauren. Um, so Colin decided during this time to broaden his career. So he spent quite a lot of money. He spent like £34,000 for a property that he would refurbish into his own practice. So he spared no expense with equipment. It was all very state of the art. And he did unfortunately ra- um, run into financial difficulties. So obviously they had, um, you know, three young, young children um, and they were struggling quite a lot after all this money spent out. And Leslie then fell pregnant again with their fourth child, Jonathan, in 1989. So at this point, they're really sort of just scraping to make ends meet. Um, so, of okay. course, that sort of can take its toll on a marriage, you know, when you're arguing a lot about money um, and, you know, where it's being spent and obviously having um, four young children running around as well, like that sort of caused a bit of friction in their marriage. By the spring of 1990, a young mother, Hazel Buchanan, who worked as an assistant at their daughter, Lauren, um, her nursery school, she caught Colin's eye. So she was actually the wife of a local police officer, Trevor Buchanan, and that couple had two young children, Lisa and Andrew. Hazel um, came across as a bit shy. She came across as a little bit impressionable. Um, Her parents were Baptist folks, just like Colin's. Over time, a relationship started to develop and they began to have an affair. So Okay, so she worked... In the preschool where Colin's children attended, were. yes. So their daughter Lauren okay. was at this nursery school, and she was an assistant there. Um, okay. And you know they sort of were making excuses to see each other, to spend time together. She said that she wanted to learn the guitar, and she wanted Colin to teach her. And um, in late summer of that year, Colin found himself in a crisis that he had been in before. And he and Hazel both flew out to London so she could have an abortion. Okay. Um, Hazel's husband, Trevor Buchanan, he seemed to idolise her. He was adamant that he you know, wanted to provide her with the kind of life that she wanted. His sister, Valerie, commented, quote, Trevor treated her like a queen. The house was furnished to absolute perfection. She got anything she wanted, but she was not content. It was not good enough, unquote. So she sort of came across as a little bit materialistic in that sense. Um, you know, their house just was always very immaculate and that sort of stuff. Okay. It was in autumn 1990 when Colin and Hazel's affair was found out. So one of the church elders, Alan Toppin, who was very much part of the inner circle at Coleraine Baptist Church, he was driving home for lunch and he saw the couple together parked outside of Forest Park. So he was a friend of both Colin and Leslie, but he was also friends with Trevor Buchanan. So he phoned Colin and he's like, is there anything going on with you and Hazel? Um, To which Colin denies any affair. So... Leslie herself was actually starting to grow suspicious that something was going on as well. She felt like Colin was very distant. He didn't want to spend any time with her. And there was one time he was going on a work trip with a male colleague and she was convinced that he was going with someone else and seeing someone else. And she wasn't wrong because Colin had actually gone to spend the night in Bangor with Hazel. So she 
confided her suspicions to a pastor and he decided to confront Colin and Hazel and they finally admitted the truth that they were having an affair. So uh, Colin was very apologetic and remorseful. Um, He was told he must step down from his duties in the church and that he was not to take communion for his act of adultery. Um, however, they both insisted to the pastor, Helen, or sorry, Colin and Hazel insisted to the pastor that uh, although it was an inappropriate, intense friendship, that it had not been consummated and it was not a sexual affair. So Leslie sort of, even though she sort of had her suspicions, she was humiliated she was very angry Trevor was shocked he did not have suspicions he was devastated Um, they were both humiliated Hazel also stepped back from her Sunday school duties and both were banned from taking communion and not to attend the same services in the church and they were not to have any contact with each other so both Leslie and Trevor were willing to forgive and forget and stay with their partners so long as they attended marriage counseling and that they stayed away from each other so that Colin and Hazel stayed away from each other. Okay. So Colin and Hazel maintained that their relationship had never developed into a sexual one um, and their partners were willing to believe this was the case. So, I mean, now that seems a bit naive, like, you know, if they were, how were they having an affair, if there wasn't any physical, you know, but in context of the times and of their serious religious beliefs, like they were very religious, it wasn't outside the realm of possibility that they, you know, hadn't crossed that line yet of having sex because that would mean committing adultery. Okay. So when Colin did eventually make the admission that, that it, it wasn't true and that they actually had been sleeping together, Leslie in particular would take it extremely badly. Um, in a fit of, so why did he eventually admit it? I think it was probably just, you know, a series of questioning and, and he just admitted it eventually. Um, she, w- she was really hurt, though. His wife was very, very upset. Uh, she... Um, Like she got really angry. She attacked Colin. She went to the bathroom, reached for a bottle of paracetamol, swallowed as many pills as she could, and she ended up being hospitalized for three days. She felt, you know, even more humiliated about this. She maintained she wasn't trying to take her own life. She wouldn't leave her children. She would never do it again. She was just angry. Um, Colin, although agreed not to contact Hazel. As far as he was concerned, his marriage to Leslie was over. He had lost all interest in her. She sort of like was trying, you know, to win his attention back. She went on a crash diet. She bought a new wardrobe. She had regular facials, hairdressing appointments, sunbed sessions. Like she was doing everything she could to try and sort of keep him interested in her. And for four months between November 1990 and March 1991, there was no contact between Hazel and Colin. So while Colin might have been going through the, the motions of like trying to repair his marriage for the benefit of the pastor and other people in the church, it was really obvious to Leslie when they were alone, when it was just them, that he just wasn't interested in um, a reconciliation with her. In okay. March 1991, 
He decided that he couldn't stay away from Hazel for any longer and the thought of her getting on with her own life without him annoyed him and he decided to get in contact with her and thus the affair was back on again. On the 19th of May 1991 when Colin woke and Leslie was not there he was concerned so he contacted a church elder to say that Leslie was gone. He called Jim Flanagan and that morning he informed him that Leslie was missing and asked if he would help him find her as he was worried about her because she wasn't in a good place. He asked would he be good enough to go and check her father Harry's house in Castle Rock as that's where he believed she would go to grieve. So her father Harry had actually passed away not so long before this as well. Um, he couldn't okay. go. He couldn't really go himself because he had the kids so he had no one to mind the, the children. So Jim Flanagan drove there, seeing nothing out of the ordinary, and drove back to inform Colin. So Colin's agitated at this point. He's clearly worried. He informed um, him and another church friend that they contacted, Derek McCauley, that Trevor had come over the night uh, before. So Trevor Buchanan, being Hazel's husband, had come to the house the night before. So this is Colin telling them this. And that okay. the two men being Colin and Trevor, had been involved in a brief physical altercation and then Trevor had driven off with Leslie. So Macaulay drove back to the house in Castle Rock to check again for Leslie. So he was kind of worried that Trevor might have become deranged due to the stress of the affair and shoot him. So like I said, Trevor was a police officer, so he's like, oh my God, maybe he's got his gun and he's going to try and shoot Colin. So he opens the front door and he's like, it's me, it's Derek, it's not Colin. Hold on a minute, I'm confused. Okay. You're telling me Leslie's missing? Yes. And now you're saying that he's afraid that he's going to shoot Colin? So Colin is Leslie's husband. Yeah. Leslie's gone missing. Um, Mm -hmm. Trevor, being Hazel's husband, came over the night before and drove off with Leslie. So now these church elders are trying to help Colin find Leslie and Trevor. So the church elder goes in and he's like, hey, it's me, it's Derek. Like, if Trevor's with Leslie, he's afraid that Trevor is going to shoot him. Do you understand? He's afraid Trevor's going to shoot who? The the he's he's thinking maybe Trevor will think that I'm Colin. So this is one of the church okay, elders. Okay, okay, so he's okay. like maybe that Trevor might think that I'm I'm looking for Leslie and I'm Colin. And he's like, oh look, it's me. By the way, it's not Colin. So okay. he then sees um, Colin's Renault car in the garage and smelled what he believed to be gas. So with no one there and a wee bit spooked out, he returned to Colin's house and assured him that they were not there. Colin looked at him in astonishment. They were there, he shouted in disbelief. So Jim Flanagan eventually returns to the house again at Colin's request. Um, An off-duty policeman called David Green, who was at a nearby church service, he agrees to go with um, Jim Flanagan. So this is the off-duty policeman and the church elder to look for Leslie and Trevor. And it was there that uh, he walked into the garage and spotted the body of Trevor Buchanan lying slumped in the passenger side door of the Renault car, his right knee stuck in the joint of the open door. He then discovered Leslie's body in the back. She was wearing the headset of her personal stereo and had some family photographs lying beside her. 
So the off-duty policeman ran over and checked their pulses before he realised that there was a hose attached to the exhaust pipe. So they had um, taken their own lives by carbon monoxide poisoning. So they think. So they think. So family and friends were shocked, devastated. The couple who had been having the affair had apparently drove their significant spouses to suicide. So it was such a shock for the community and even more so for the families. Colin took it quite well. Um, He seemed, you know, quite controlled um, and the church elders felt like he was possibly in denial or shock. When Hazel was informed, she hardly spoke you know, people called over with cakes and baked goods to offer their condolences. She seemed a little bit emotionless. Um, and again, she was thought to be in shock as well, not processing the information. So there was okay. talk that Trevor might have had second thoughts about the suicide and was trying to get out of the car when he was overcome with fumes. So remember I said Trevor's body was fine and his his leg was actually keeping the door ajar. It was like stuck mm-hmm. in the joint. So... People are sort of, you know, rumours are going around that maybe he actually didn't really want to go through with it. And that just made his death all the more heartbreaking for his family because there were so many unanswered questions. Yeah. Leslie's friend Shirley recalls Leslie saying, you know, days before her death, maybe they'd be better off without me. Why not just let them have each other? But Shirley had never believed she would actually do it. She never for a moment thought she would want to leave her children, whom she absolutely adored. Trevor's brother, um, Gordon, was heartbroken. Like, he couldn't believe that he would take his own life, leave his wife and his children, whom he loved so much. And he just thought he definitely would not have sat in a car waiting for somebody else to die with him. That just wasn't him. And they were just tortured by all of the unanswered questions that, you know, unfortunately the suicide left behind. Both Leslie and Trevor were buried on the 21st of May. Much of Leslie's friends and family didn't even acknowledge Colin. Or Colin. They were you know, annoyed at his affair, his treatment of Leslie. They were probably very angry and hurt. Uh, Trevor's family were quite uh, hurt at the way Hazel decided to handle the funeral arrangements. So his coffin, Trevor's coffin, was not kept in the family home, but it was kept in the funeral parlour, which meant there wasn't the traditional mourning period in the home. Um, And this sort of meant that, you know, when his family um, would first see him and see his body, that they would have to say their goodbyes. Um, But they also didn't really want to challenge Hazel's wishes either. Um, Trevor's brother Gordon recalls like this harrowing scene of seeing his father at the funeral parlour. He said that he lifted Trevor's like upper body out of the coffin, out of the coffin, was holding him in his arms, saying, "Why oh did God. you do it, son? Why didn't you come to me?" And he said that a part of their father died when Trevor died. Um, Hazel was also not going to have a funeral service in the church for Trevor. Um, that they would just do a ceremony. Um, in the funeral home the Buchanan's however at this point insisted that he would have a church service he was a member of that church and the very least he deserved was a dignified send-off um, you know they also sort of remembered that she was dressed um, 
the way she was dressed at the funeral, they felt like it was a little bit inappropriate, like she wore a short skirt and showed a little bit of cleavage or something like that. But they just weren't, they just things that just stuck out to them. Um, the infidelity became a hot topic among circles in Coleraine. They were pretty much sort of shamed into leaving the church. Hazel started to attend Lima Valley Baptist Church and Colin, um, a small church outside Ballymoney. And in the days and weeks following the deaths of their spouses, amazingly, they maintained contact with each other, Hazel and Colin. Okay. And they actually had sex within six weeks of the deaths of their spouses. Uh, they tried to keep it a secret, but there was telltale signs, like neighbours noticed um, maybe his car parked a distance away and then him walking to, to, the, to Hazel's home. Um, however, after the deaths, Colin couldn't have predicted how it would wreak havoc on his sex life with Hazel. Hazel was having a troubled conscience and she couldn't seem to relax. Um, and they kind of believed if they weren't having like full sex then it wasn't technically sinning um one evening when hazel was having her teeth cleaned by colin in his dentist um office they sort of kind of by accident discovered that under gas and air she was more relaxed and they had sex there on the dentist chair and sort of i know and then like it kind of got worse like over time he actually then like produced like a needle and gave her intravenous midazolam which is like a medication that can lower your inhibitions a bit um so like it was really sort of you know weird yeah. so weird so sex did eventually cease for the couple um but they they did go on to stay together for another four years there was an inquest in May 1992 which stated that both Trevor and Leslie died by carbon monoxide fumes, that they were both upset by difficulties in their marriage. After the inquest was out of the way, Colin received £120,000 from Leslie's life insurance and he also received a sum of £212,000 as a result of Leslie's father's will, which oh my God. is a bit suspicious. So... Once Colin decided to move on from uh, Hazel, he lost no time in finding someone else. In December 1996, a policeman friend brought a young American divorcee, Kyle Jorgensen, um, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, Jorgensen, um, along to a Christian singles night at Colin's house. They were introduced, they started dating, and they quickly married the following year on the 2nd of May 1997. A fortnight later, she announced she was pregnant with the first of the five children they would go on to have. So she was 30 years old, originally from New York, arrived in Northern Ireland with her two young children, Dylan and Katie, in 1996. So she'd actually just left an unhappy four-year marriage and she decided to cross the Atlantic to study Irish history. Uh, where she was accepted to the University of Ulster in Coleraine and she had sort of rediscovered religion and started attending um, a Baptist church. So Colin decided okay. that um, he wanted to build a large you know, family home to accommodate his growing children. So with his children, um, with Kyle's two children and then another um, baby on the way, like they had limited space, um, but Leslie, or sorry, like Leslie, Kyle quickly found her independent pursuits 
um, had to be sacrificed in the interest of family life. So in her case, it was her university studies. Um, then they had another baby uh, in 1998. Um, just 18 months after they married, Colin made a confession which shocked her. They had just finished dinner and Colin told Kyle there was something that he had to tell her. When um, they first met, Colin sort of, you know, was quick to tell Kyle all about his first wife, what happened. He explained that she had taken her own life because of his affair with another woman. And, you know, he took full responsibility for having driven her to such a tragic end. You know, he told her she had suffered from depression. She had been taking prescription drugs. She was self-medicating with alcohol. He told Kyle he had come home to find her drunk. Um, and then he told her of Trevor Buchanan, um, which was Hazel's husband, and how he had also taken his own life. Beyond this, he had never really gone into any more detail um, to Kyle about what happened. But on this sort of evening, he began to shake and he suddenly blurted out, it's all my fault, it's all my responsibility, I did it, I killed Leslie. So. Okay. What happened? So all those years earlier, on the 13th of May, 1991, Colin had what he later described as a eureka moment. In the early hours of the day, Leslie had been crying and said something along the lines of like, this is going to be over soon. I'm going to go to heaven or something like that. And Colin sort of found himself thinking, I can help you. And he truly believed by putting his wife out of her misery, he would be carrying out an act of mercy. And thus he, sure started, he, did. <laughs> thus he started to plan the murder of his wife and of his lover's husband. So he informed Hazel of his plan. And although at first her reaction was disbelief, Colin assured her it was for the best for all parties involved. So he instructed Hazel to put lorazepam which is um, a sedative, it's a medication, in Trevor's food because he worried that if Trevor woke up during the plan that he would shoot him. So it was imperative that he be well sedated. On the 18th of May, 1991, Leslie fell asleep on the sofa at around 11pm. Colin slipped out to the garage, put on a pair of surgical gloves and put the top plastic part of a child's feeding bottle over the mouth of the exhaust in his car. He added a hose and he pulled it through uh, to where his wife was lying and then returned to the garage to ignite the car engine. He went back into the house and he pointed the hose nozzle in the direction of her face and then he backed out into the hallway so he could watch from a safe distance. As the smell, oh my God, he's yeah, sick. As the smell got stronger and stronger and Leslie started to stir, Colin panicked, ran in and pulled the quilt up over her head. He said that she called out the name of their eldest child, Matthew. It would be years later he would recall that that is one of the memories that haunts me when she called Matthew's name. I didn't expect her to be awake. So he had to physically restrain his dying wife and he believed that she knew at that point what was happening. He held the hose pipe to her face, leaning down on, t- on her heart until she stopped breathing. By this stage, he too was starting to feel unwell because of the fumes, so he ran out into the hallway and took a few deep breaths. 
He changed Leslie, removing her nightgown and putting on dark leggings and a blue t-shirt, and carried her body to the boot of his car. It was essential that he had to carry out the second killing straight away so post-mortem results wouldn't have a big time difference. On arriving at the Buchanan's, like this is very premeditated. Oh my God. On arriving at the Buchanan's, Trevor was asleep face down wearing his boxer shorts. So as with Leslie, Colin brought the hose up to his bedroom, placed it on the pillow beside his head. Um, however, this time he saw Trevor stir and lift his head off the pillow. So he panics again, rushes into the room, grabs the nozzle and pulls the duvet over Trevor. He jumped on top of Trevor to try and restrain him. However, Trevor um, actually wrestled Colin onto the floor. Colin bumped his head and he recalls looking into Trevor's eyes. So Trevor knew what was happening as well. He shoved the nozzle between Trevor's teeth and pulled the blanket over his head until he stopped breathing. Colin quickly redressed Trevor and took him out to his car. He gave Hazel the rolled up hose to destroy. By this stage, it was about 3.40 a.m. He sped towards the village of Castle Rock and he drove into the garage of Harry's clerk, who we know to be Leslie's now deceased father. Um, He carried Trevor's body from the boot into the driver's seat and he couldn't manage to close the driver's door as his right knee jammed the hinge of the open door. So that was like, remember I said, people were sort of questioning if he was trying to get out. He he laid Leslie out in the back and laid out three family photographs on her stomach. A vacuum hose from an old Hoover had been lying in the boot and he pushed one end on the exhaust pipe and the other close to Leslie's face. He then started the engine and climbed out. Colin escaped on foot. Uh, He basically sprinted home and he just had one more part of the plan to execute, execute. So a note which he had come across when he was going through Leslie's things before, which she obviously wrote when she was feeling very low. So the note read, Dear Colin, I am just trying to go to sleep now. For how long, I do not know. Thank you for your help over the past few days and for the good times in our marriage. If I wake up in the morning, let this just be our little secret, Leslie. So he used this note that she had previously written. Oh my God, he is sick. Set it down on the kitchen floor and waited. And that was how everything took place. He then contacted the church elders saying he was worried about... Um, Leslie that Trevor had came to their house the night before and obviously the church elders went to um, Castle Rock and found their bodies in the car so like on hearing what he had done all those years ago Kyle urges him to turn himself in there and then but he sort of urges her not to do so yet he's like you stay calm think of the children think of the future you know we just like I will do it but I just need a bit of time like we need to sort out the children and he did actually have you know every intention of coming clean and handing himself into the authorities he began to make plans to sell his practice because he wanted to set Kyle and the children up financially um when he was at the church though at that weekend A girl whom he later referred to as Sandra approached him and just randomly said, 
Colin, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but you just need to know all your sins are forgiven and forgotten by God. So this was like, what? yeah, he, he was like, oh my God, this is the sign that I, I need. And he's like, you know, I don't need to hand myself in. So he abandons his plans to surrender himself and confess his crimes. He's more than happy to believe that this lady's words were a communication from God telling him that like all had been forgiven for all those years previously. And as time passed, the memory of the evening that he had confessed the truth just sort of, you know, began to fade. And Kylie, his new wife, also just sort of gradually let go of the idea of telling the police as well. Oh, how did she stay with him? I know. I mean, she was probably, um, you just don't know what she was thinking. Like, maybe she thought. No, it doesn't matter. I know, I know. I know, but maybe she thought he changed. And Uh, you don't, uh, maybe it changed if you, like, what, like, I don't know, not change if you murder two people. I know, I know. Um, By the end of the 1990s, his life was beginning to look up, like, financially things were a lot better. Um, Obviously, the injections of cash from that you know he benefited from in the aftermath of Leslie's death and of her father's death he did later insist that financial gain had never been a motive um for killing Leslie um but also it did help to alleviate any of his financial difficulties um in April 2007 he suffered a deep emotional blow on the 30th of April with the death the death of his eldest son Matthew 22-year-old Matthew was in a freak accident in the apartment block where he had been living in St. Petersburg, Russia. So he had been there on an overseas semester as part of his university course and he had died after falling 40 feet down a stairwell from the fourth floor of the building. So the loss of Matthew left Colin like tormented he became he became possessed by the notion that God was punishing him now for his sins and that he sort of couldn't cast off the feeling that his previous conviction that he had been forgiven was just, you know, self-delusion. Um, and also, that was the word that Leslie had said just before she died. That was the last thing she said was her son's name, Matthew. Yeah. The tragedy affected Colin far more than most people imagined. He found himself sort of wondering what Trevor Buchanan's father, Jim, must have felt um, as he struggled to come to terms with the, his son's death. And, you know, he started to realise all of the unanswered questions that must have tormented Jim about his son's suicide. So it was sort of the first time that Colin really got a bit of an insight to the true extent of the misery that he had inflicted on so many others back in 1991 because at least Colin had some sort of degree of closure about Matt. Like, he knew that there had been an accident and there wasn't sort of all those unanswered questions that suicide would leave behind. In April 2008, Colin invested £50,000 in this, like, crazy outlandish scheme to recover lost gold in the Philippines. So he really believed he could make between 10 and 20 million pounds from this scheme. And in the end of it all, he actually spent a total of 353,000 pounds in this like bottomless pit of this Philippines gold venture and he he had nothing left. 
So it wasn't even until he actually flew to Manila in the Philippines and he met this guy who was his contact that he was like, you know, you know, talking to about all the gold they were going to make that he sort of realised that this had just all been an elaborate fraud and he returned home a broken man. So these sort of things are what band together that made Colin Howell decide to turn himself in for the double murder of his wife Leslie Howell and Trevor Buchanan. On the 3rd of February 2009 at Northampton Magistrates Court in Coleraine, Colin Howell was formally charged with the double murder of Leslie Howell and Trevor Buchanan. The courtroom was packed with members of Trevor Buchanan's family um, and there was no application for bail and he was quickly led away. So the barrister told the court that Colin had been visited by unhappiness and tragedy and he accepts entirely how bad and monstrous these matters are. But there is a man there, not a monster, a man who allowed distorted thinking, a loss of reason and illicit passion to completely destroy the lives of his victims. So, you know, it was summed up that these were like really heinous crimes and they did, you know, there was a cold blooded, carefully planned murder. It was ruthlessly executed um, and Colin Howell was sentenced to life with a minimum jail term of 21 years. Um, and what about Hazel? I'm going to get to Hazel, but just something else about Colin, um, which is very, uh, adds to Colin's, you know, your opinion of his character. He actually had an obsession and an addiction to pornography. He couldn't shake it. It started when he was a student um picking up top shelf magazines which progressed to an addiction to online pornography in his later life so and it really was an addiction like it threatened his relationships and he did try and get help but it never worked um his sexual compulsions actually extended to his dental chair every now and then he would take advantage of heavily sedated and vulnerable women it was noticed by some of his staff he didn't treat all his patients the same. Like with women, especially women he found attractive, he was charming, he was interesting, he was reassuring. To others, he was uncommunicative and rude. So for some patients that required maybe lengthy or painful you know, treatments, they required to be sedated with midazolam, which was also the drug that he, like I told you before, at one point administered to Hazel. So he would then assist the patient to their waiting relative after the treatment by physically helping them to walk. And it was only in 2009 after he made his confessions about the murders that he also admitted to these assaults. So in terms... Oh my God. I know, it's very strange. In terms of the extent of the assaults, assaults, they fell into like the low-grade category. Like he got two women to rub his groin while he used their hands. He cupped the breasts of another... Um, the police feared like a wide scale level of abuse, but they narrowed it down to about five women, none of whom can be named. Um, one woman actually challenged him afterward, like she she kind of remembered it, but he assured her she had imagined it because like sexual fantasy is a very uncommon side effect of midazolam, but it is possible. So he just convinced her it was, you know, just a side effect of the medication. So he eventually admitted abusing five women at different periods over four years between March 2004 and December 2008. 
He is so sick. weird. Um, Hazel Stewart. So Hazel had always been a smart dresser. Um, you know, she liked designer labels. In the month before her arrest, she never looked better. She was tan. She, you know, went to the gym with regular sessions. And, you know, she was married to an ex-chief superintendent. Um, so he had divorced his first wife but was now hopelessly in love again. She lived in a beautifully fitted and recently built detached house in the countryside a few miles a few miles outside of Clarine. So when three policemen pulled up to her house and she then pulled up in her black um, Volkswagen Golf, the colour drained from her face. She knew why they were there. It was what she had always feared, that knock on the door, that tap on the shoulder. So her husband at this point, David Stewart, he asked his wife over and over again to explain her actions, you know, what happened in May 1991. Her children, Lisa and Andrew, also struggled to comprehend and come to terms with the circumstances of their father's death, but never for a moment entertained the idea that their mother was culpable. They remained unwaveringly loyal to Hazel. As far as they were concerned, Colin was completely to blame. The woman who appeared to court on Monday the 2nd of February 2009 was pale and gaunt and did not resemble the Hazel Stewart that her family knew and loved. So media attention to this trial was huge in Ireland and even in you know, Britain as well. The public's fascination grew because Colin detailed so many revelations about his sex life with his former partner. Um... And when he talked to the stand, it was evident to everybody in the courtroom that his testimony was far too detailed and compelling to be just dismissed as like, you know, vindictiveness toward Hazel. Mm -hmm. Um, It had been a startling performance, which clearly made a huge impression on the people who mattered, which were the jurors. Um, The task that the defence faced to persuade them of Hazel's innocence was now a truly unenviable one. Um, Hazel sat silently throughout, you know, she maintained a stoic composure at all times, you know, even as Colin described intimate details of their sex life. Um, She didn't speak during her trial, but the interviews that had been recorded on tape when she was arrested were played for the jury to listen to. Um, There was like details of the exchanges that she had with the detectives she told them how their relationship started, how her husband had, you know, been devastated when he found out. She spoke of the trauma of having that secret abortion, but she insisted time and time again that she wanted nothing to do with Colin's plan to murder. She had never wanted it to happen and she had been terrified. Um, under the... Um, pressure the following day of questioning so they questioned her this day and then they questioned her again her story changed slightly so she sort of accepted that she had encouraged Trevor to take a sleeping tablet but she insisted over and over again that she hadn't given it to him but she also conceded that the plan to murder probably couldn't have gone ahead without her husband being sedated she had known earlier that Saturday what Colin was planning to do um, and when he raided the house with his wife's body in the boot, she did also know what the next part of his plan would entail. And, you know, she admitted that she could have 
screamed and shout um, and she felt like she probably did let it happen. Um, she laid out the clothes for Colin to dress her husband's body. She caught up and burned the garden hose which had been used to kill him. She changed and washed the bed covers in the room where he had fought for his life. She opened the windows to release the lingering um, films of carbon monoxide. And, you know, the main question that the judge and, and everybody else sort of asked was why she hadn't intervened to stop the killings then. You know, she... Yeah, of course, and she, and she was what the actor do. Yeah, like, she did everything. Did she do anything to prevent the murders, or at least the murder of, of Trevor? And why didn't she tell anyone beforehand what he was planning on the night that he came to her house and committed the murder. Like, why didn't she wake up her husband, keep the door closed, scream, run to him? You could say there's so many things that she could have done differently. And on the 2nd of March 2011, the jurors came to their decision, which was guilty. Her children, Lisa and Andrew, and her husband, David, were inconsolable. Her friends and family were adamant that the Hazel that had been portrayed as a cold and manipulative woman did not resemble the warm and loving woman that they knew. Because she had pleaded not guilty, she could not claim any reduction in the minimum term. Even though she had expressed sorrow and regret um, during her interviews, the judge had to take all this into account and she was sentenced to 18 years. Um, Colin's second wife Kyle divorced him before moving back to the US and his daughter Lauren is actually the only one that stood by her father Um, you know she sort of feels like he basically came to terms with what he had done and there was no other reason for him to come clean other than the fact that you know his conscience was telling him he had to um Colin and Hazel had been haunted all their lives by the act that they carried out, believing that it would somehow make them happier. That was simply untrue, and it actually caused a great deal of heartache and distress to both families. So Colin and Hazel have been haunted all their lives by the act that they carried out, believing it would somehow make them happier was simply untrue, and it caused a great deal of heartache and distress to both of the families. So there were so many people that this affected. Um, There were so many lives that were upheavaled and destroyed. And the main people that we need to remember are Trevor and Leslie and their families because they are the ones that their lives were ended so abruptly and that they didn't get to watch their children grow up. Okay, guys, thank you for listening to this week's episode of What's the Crime with myself and Gemma. We will be back thank you. next week for a brand new episode of What's the Crime. Bye. Bye. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.